welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Please turn your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 5. We finally get to meet Ananias and Sapphira. Boy, there's so much packed into these 11 verses, uh, and the ways in which to apply it are near boundless. Um, it's probably best to begin by making this, this simple observation that uh, at this juncture in Acts, uh, the honeymoon is over. You know, the church is probably more than a year old, but uh, still less than two uh, when Ananias and Sapphira become the, the first believers, unbelievers, excuse me, the first unbelievers to attempt to infiltrate uh, Christ's church. Um, we'll discover that the infiltration, it's, it's Satan's ploy, uh, influencing a, a couple who feigns generosity Uh, But something else is filling their heart. I believe you'll have to decide whether you agree or not uh, by the time this series is over, but I believe the text and the context will supply ample evidence over the next couple weeks to conclude that this couple was not at heart uh, inwardly converted uh, through faith in Jesus Christ uh, you can decide whether you agree with that, uh, but they were almost surely outwardly converted through water baptism. Being immersed in water, we're going to be doing that in two weeks, but being immersed in water is how you became identified as one of their number. As we are told, this early church continued to grow day by day, uh, so evidently, Their getting wet did not save Ananias and Sapphira. Um, But being baptized had allowed them to assimilate into the Jerusalem church, which would have for them yielded certain benefits. Um, The apostles were performing many signs. That will be affirmed again next week. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27, uh, chapter 4 and verse 21 also remind us that this, this gathering of Christ followers had at least thus far enjoyed great favor, high repute among all the people. Uh, socially, it was popular. It was a good place to be uh, up until this point. Uh, things are going to change over the next chapter or so. Um, And in the preceding passage, Acts 4, verse 32, uh, we were told, you know, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They had one heart and mind. And that serves as our first indication that something isn't quite right with Ananias and Sapphira. They become the first among this congregation, verse 3 Uh, to be identified as having a a different type of heart. Also, Scripture appears to introduce them in the opening verses of chapter 5 
as a steep contrast to, to the generous encourager uh, who we know is named Barnabas. At the close of chapter 4, uh, we also need to remember there existed no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts. Uh, knowing this, uh, let's take our initial look at this couple in verses 1 through 11. Uh, and I might as well start by reading, uh, including the last two verses of chapter 4. And there are going to come some important lessons in this series that will consist of at least two parts, uh, maybe even three. Uh, this is part one, which I have titled, When Sin Leads to Death. Reading from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to, to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Wow. How is that for a seeker-sensitive church growth program? Huh? Yeah, that, that is a strategy if I've ever seen one, all right. I, I do not think you're going to find this passage included in uh, that book, The Purpose Driven Church. Don't think, it's, don't think it's in there. Haven't read the book, but don't think it's in there. Folks, this is as serious as church discipline gets. Two people a husband and a wife uh, who had recently assimilated into the assembly of the saints immediately dropped dead. Be good cheer if you are a first-time visitor to Port St. Lucie Bible Church. This almost never happens here. Yeah. Yeah. But why not? 
Is it because there are no unbelievers sitting amongst us? I'm pretty confident there are. It's one reason that we preach the gospel every single week. Um, Or, you know, do none of us believers, do none of us drop dead because we're just so sincere and truthful and we never mask ourselves with hypocrisy ever? Not us, no. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they had set their minds to appear before man as, as devoutly religious. Meanwhile, earlier the morning, in the morning, uh, before driving to church, uh, they had been something entirely different at home. Boy, who among us would stand if God strictly and immediately applied this same judgment to us? You know, church would surely not be known as a safe space for pretending. Fear would overtake every single one of us if this were to happen here today. Um, but there is, there is something deeper here, a, a little more sinister as well, uh, than simply putting on a happy face after our morning started out real lousy. Um, fortunately, Scripture has also taught us that God is a, a, a loving Father who has been exceedingly patient with us exceedingly patient in his love and uh, doesn't do this most of the time. Still, there is a sin that leads to death. There is a sin that, that kindles God's anger. Boy, Ananias and Sapphira rang that bell on this day. Is that sin that leads to death, and we are talking about physical death here, uh, is this something that we need to be extremely concerned about today? From week to week, is this something we have to be, be really worried about as we come into church? No, doesn't appear to be. At the same time, is this something that we should just uh, haphazardly and quickly carelessly dismiss as unimportant in the church today. Well, our passage reveals that the first century church Christians uh, didn't take it lightly. They were all gripped by fear. And notice how suddenly their scheme was exposed. You know, just how quickly this penalty was enforced upon them. Uh, you know, Ananias received no final call to repent. No last-second chance from Peter. Uh, there, there was not just one more Sunday to come back to church. Uh, another window of opportunity for Ananias to change his ways. Verse 5 reveals that as he heard Peter's words, as they went into the ear canal, As he heard Peter's words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came over all who heard of it. There is a sin that leads to death. And in this particular case, death came immediately. 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 
That phrase, breathed his last, it's, it's a one-word Greek verb. Uh, it's commonly used as a medical term uh, during this time. Uh, it, it described a patient who had expired. It means the last breath. The King James translation is helpful in this context. It, it, it reads, he gave up the ghost. And great fear came over everyone. But praise Jesus that the Holy Spirit of God generates a fear of judgment among God's people. On the night in which he was betrayed, this is the Last Supper, Jesus promises that after he departs, he'll send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, a Comforter, also the Spirit of Truth, And uh, his ministry will include, according to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Folks, this is God's work. Conviction of sin, conviction of God's righteousness, conviction of judgment, divine judgment, well, it ought to cause a little bit of fear. Isaiah the prophet stood before the holy throne of God and he, he cried out, oh, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, when he was given a picture of the throne of God, was, was struck with fear. The holiness of God was so great that, that we're even told the, the angels around him, around God, having six wings, used two of them to cover their eyes. They couldn't even uh, look intently into the splendor of God. They humbled themselves. The Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in his letter to Philippi, uh, a church that he repeatedly called to rejoice. Again, always rejoice. But he also told those same born-again Christians, chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. No. Oh. Western Christianity may have forgotten it's, it's both scriptural and beneficial for us to experience a conviction of our sins. An understanding that God is perfectly righteous, a reverence for God, a, a fear of His judgment, and fear of God's judgment is the Holy Spirit working in us. Even in believers, we are to have fear. To advance our sanctification, to to become holy as God is holy, uh, to conform conform us to the image of Christ, there ought to be a little bit of fear. Seems a fear, fear of God might do us well, actually. If If you doubt that, Take a note that the book of Proverbs contains wisdom and instruction for godly living. 
Um, Proverbs teaches right and wrong. It, uh, it, it's the art of living in Proverbs. And, and do you remember what the opening chapter of Proverbs tells us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Conviction of sins and, and fear, that, that reverence of God and His glory, that is how we learn about Him. It's how we learn about ourselves and our, our state that we're still struggling in. Um, the opening sentence to John Calvin's is just monumental theological dissertation. It, it's called Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's about this thick. Then there's two of them, so it's this thick. The opening sentence begins like this, quote, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. We have to have knowledge of God and of ourselves. Folks, knowledge of God, Proverbs tells us, imparts fear. This is why Jesus himself said, Do not fear those who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, this dovetails nicely with our topic of sanctification from last Sunday, uh, our process of sanctification. Uh, please note that, the, that Peter here, again, is addressing Christians. He says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Still not convinced. Just a few more references for good measure, because I I know there's going to be someone here that's going to depart today and say, I can't believe that pastor told us that we should fear God. You know, mumbling under their breath. I can't believe he said that. And that a ministry of a Holy Spirit tells us to fear God. Um, Folks, it is not me saying this. In Revelation 14, verse 7, it's actually one of God's angels who says this to believers, quote, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. In other words, even the final book of our Bibles says fear God until the end. The following is a scene from the end, the final judgment, Revelation 11, verse 18. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name. Just a few more brief references from Proverbs here uh, before we move on. Uh, The book, again, that teaches us right from wrong and and how to to enjoy the art of living. 
Proverbs 3, verse 7. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Proverbs 14, verse 27. Next verse. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and and turmoil with it. Proverbs 16, verse 6. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. You know what they call that at the end of an argument? Checkmate. Yeah. Boy, go to your concordance. Look up fear through, through Psalms and Proverbs. This is just a small sampling about uh, the greatness and the goodness and the benefits of fearing the Lord. Now for a little balance, all right? To offer a little bit of balance. God is to be feared. But there are definitely things that Jesus told us that we should never fear, all right? We aren't to walk through life in perpetual fear every day, week to week. Quite the opposite, actually. Uh, For those who truly know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, we don't have to fear death. No fear of death. We have no fear of condemnation because the perfect love of God displayed in Christ Jesus casts out all fear of judgment. We don't have to fear poverty persecution, tribulation, or distress, we don't have to fear what man will do to us. And actually, when we remain obedient and walk through life with our Lord, we have very little to fear. Yet in irony, it is our fear of God that preserves us in obedience while we walk with Him. Fear is good. Fear causes us to obey. In fact, do you remember the indictment that most often accompanies evil men who are ungodly and immoral and curse and they're swift to shed blood? Do you, do you remember how they are described in Scripture? They have no fear of God. Ananias and Sapphira had entered into and amongst the church of God, uh, but they had no fear of God. No fear. That's one of those sins that leads to death. And and for them, it it came very suddenly. I'm going to explain with a little more clarity of what their sin was next Sunday. What exactly was, what was the hang-up here with them? Um, we'll get back to that next Sunday, uh, but we need an over, overview here, and we are already over halfway through today's message. Um, this is why Ananias and Sapphira are a multi-part series. But in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit of God had determined 
I want to preserve a little bit of reverence and some fear in Christ's church. This is, this is a work of God. They, they carried two people out on stretchers. And when sin leads to death, boy, fear is very effective. It, it, it works. Verses 5 and 11 reveal there was much fear. Uh, verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who had heard of these things. This was God's plan. This was the Holy Spirit's work. And people experiencing a little reverence and some fear of God in the church. Folks, that is not a negative development. Meanwhile, the complete absence of the fear of God, that is disastrous. Disastrous. I've shared a number of times my background in in growing up in a very liberal church. That denomination had determined had determined uh, long before I was ever born that um, you know they're going to avoid all passages in the Bible that that they had decided could be viewed as controversial or or offensive in any way, and uh, any of those scriptures were left out. The Bible that they had left at the end it was about a quarter inch thick, large print. All that remained were religious platitudes. Love is love, they say. Um, Loved, Jesus, when he'd say, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Folks, as I grew up, this was living in a rural farming community, conservative by, by, uh, by standards, I noticed how no behavior was off limits. People were reassured, everyone, uh, uh, they're being reassured, uh, reassured every one of them that there's no reason to fear God. Consequence today is that same denomination ordains lesbians, homosexuals, and people who describe themselves as transgender as their pastors and bishops. There is no fear of God among them. It is not going to end well. You know, remember Ananias and Sapphira lived under the new covenant and attended a New Testament church when they died. This isn't just something that happened in eons ago way back in that Old Testament that we keep getting told needs to be discarded and unhitched and thrown. Forget all that. God isn't like that anymore, we're told. This is New Testament. Therefore, even after the cross at Calvary, God is still just as dead serious about how we approach Him with our offerings as he was when Nadab and Abihu came forward with that strange fire. There is still sin that leads to death. 
and how we approach the Lord God and worship, uh, that disposition that fills our heart when we come to Him, uh, when we gather in His presence, it remains important. In fact, essential. And perhaps this text is more important today than any at any other point in church history. Ananias and Sapphira. Because it is repeatedly claimed today that how we approach God is unimportant. No change to your life expected. No new creature in Christ. Your old things, they don't have to pass away. New things do not need to come because God just accepts you however you are as long as you are just happy with yourself. That is a spiritual aroma. Most pleasant and most prevalent in our day that denies you are a new creation in Christ. It says you don't have to be changed when you are a Christian. You don't need to be sanctified into the image of Christ and conformed to Him. And here's the rub. This is why we're here at Ananias and Sapphira. Here's the rub with that theology. Some have become convinced that God accepts them just as they are because they don't drop dead on Sunday. But is the fact that you do not drop dead immediately today sufficient evidence that everything in your life is acceptable? So now Ananias and Sapphira have become the litmus test that we're good with God? People get asked, you go to church? Yeah. How'd it go? Didn't drop dead. Everything must be good with God. Didn't drop dead yet. The reality is, you will. And we need to also at this point recall something important we learned when we, when we started the book of Acts. The writer, his name is Luke, uh, he is providing us a historical narrative of things that happened in the past. The book of Acts serves many purposes, uh, but one in particular is it provides a historical record of what happened. It's a literary genre. It's a style of writing that is called history. History means that we don't automatically assume every event that is recorded in Acts is intended to repeat itself today. You don't read history in that way. These events surely did occur in the early formation of Christ's church, but we are never told in Scripture to conclude that all of history is cyclical or that all things that occurred in the past will automatically 
replicate themselves in the present. This lack of understanding is just one of the big theological problems in the charismatic movement. All their theology is tied to trying to repeat the past. But we are never told in the Bible to expect that God will always repeat the past. Some things we are told will cease. But what Scripture can assure us is that God's character never changes. His attributes, His holiness, His his omniscience, His all-knowing everything. We'll look at that next week, omniscience. His omnipotence, His characteristics, His traits are immutable. It means they do not change. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then it says in the next verse, do not be carried away with varied and strange teachings. So though God may not today snatch your life, He is still holy. He still hates sin. Now I'm also not promising that you won't drop dead today. That that is beyond my scope and authority. I can't say that. But I can tell you that there are some incidents in the Bible that are recorded as only happening once. Noah and his family survived a a flood. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, leveled. The Red Sea was parted in two, swallowed up the Egyptians. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And he rose again on the third day. One time. And all all these events, each of them happening only once, were never intended to be replicated in our day. They're, They're not expected to be our common experience week to week. But they all reveal, including the cross, they all reveal just how dead serious God is about sin. That we might increase in fear and and reverence of Him. And and these are events that are etched in history. They continue as warnings that we we are to live our lives set apart as holy to God. I imagine you you want another concrete example. Do you remember the first name? You remember last name. But do you remember the name of uh, the person who was the first in Israel to curse the, the Lord's name? You don't. And why? It's because Leviticus doesn't even give that man the dignity of recording his name in Scripture, uh, immortalizing his name in that way. But it happened after he got into a fight, got into a struggle with an Israelite, uh, uh, and there he earned the notoriety of being the first in Israel to blaspheme the holy name of God. He, He voiced it with disgust. The penalty for him under the Mosaic law was immediate death. 
or near immediate, death by stoning. In Leviticus 24, verse 15, uh, there the Lord told Moses, quote, You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, uh, the alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Even though throughout the centuries, Israel did not, the people of Israel did not enforce this penalty with diligence, is God today less offended by blasphemy? Is he less concerned about his name? Not according to the Apostle Paul, who admits he himself was a blasphemer. Now, we don't keep a pile of stones behind the stage to pull out in case someone uses the Lord's name in vain. And don't raise your hands, but how many here at one point in their life or another used the name of Jesus Christ as a slur? Even once? And the severity of God's judgment against that first account of blasphemy. What was it for? The severity of his judgment against that first account, it serves as a timeless example to all of us that God will not hold him or her guiltless who uses his name with disgust. He or she will die, even if it isn't immediate. The illustration, I believe, is similar with Ananias and Sapphira. Though in all likelihood we will not die immediately if we commit their same sin, we will die because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages that we have earned from our sin is death, and therefore all die. If you want an argument for whether or not anyone ever goes through their life uh, without ever sinning, besides Christ, uh, well, the evidence is out there. Everybody dies. Everyone's guilty. All sin leads to death. According to God's law, Ananias and Sapphira sinned, and they deserve to die. God determined in their case Because he is Lord and creator, God determined in their case, it will be immediate. That's his right. The event reminds us that God is holy. He won't be played with. We've all sinned and we all deserve to die. Our judgment might be delayed. But we are not less guilty of sin than they I know my closing here will uh, provoke us a little. Provocative. But I had to suffer through this all week. So you get to suffer now. What was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? 
I think I've pinned it down. I'll share it with you next week. We'll see if you all agree or not. But here's what really bothered me. I've heard a lot of sermons, lessons about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, The way that the passage is normally approached. Well, Ken told me earlier how it's approached. They didn't give the full tithe. They didn't bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's why God didn't like them. You ever heard that? Yeah, forget that sermon. They sound like that in Alabama, though, don't they? You see, that was the sin. Oh, kind of blows it out of the water when we see everything is uh, is given later. And Peter says it belonged to you. It wasn't mandatory what they were doing. Talk about that next week as well. Um, heard a few sermons about it. This is, and this is the way the passage is normally approached. In how Ananias and Sapphira were so awful. So awful. Can you believe them? What they did? What, they sold land? They only gave part of it. Pretended that they were given the whole price? How shameful. Those people. They're the lowest of the low. What a, what a threshold of severe wickedness that we would never breach. They, they, they committed that sin unto death because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were proven to be frauds. What about you, pretender? What about me? Do we conclude that in contrast to Ananias and Sapphira, Nobody dies immediately in the church in our day because none of us have ever surpassed a threshold of wickedness that deserved death. Never represented ourselves inaccurately in the church. Ever. Or do they, Ananias and Sapphira, do they, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Achan, who stole an idol from Jericho. Uzzah, who who reached out to steady the ark. Nadab and Abihu, who offered some strange thing to God. And Ananias and Sapphira. Do they actually serve as examples of sins? Sins just like on any other given day that you and I might commit ourselves. That we might possibly do. And are these examples simply to remind us of how holy and righteous God is and how sinful and wretched we are? Have you ever considered that maybe Ananias and Sapphira were intended, to buy, were intended by God to serve as that one-time reminder of how in order to enter God's presence 
and for our worship to be acceptable to God, we must first be cleansed from our sins. Or else we're going to drop dead. If that is the case, uh, their death to me starts to make a little bit of sense. The Holy Spirit doesn't accept anyone into Christ's church. God doesn't accept any offering from anyone until you have been cleansed from your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing is acceptable. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you and I have never done anything as bad or even worse than Ananias and Sapphira. And don't make that assumption based on the fact that you and I haven't yet dropped dead. God in His grace provided them as our example of what will happen to all who come to church and pretend they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is dead serious, and there is no time for pretending. If you are a pretender, and you've never trusted that Christ died for your sins on the cross, it looks as if God has allowed you to live one more day. Don't bet on tomorrow. All sin leads to death. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you can be cleansed of your sins today. We'll look more at what Ananias and Sapphira did next week, if we're all alive. Let's pray.